0: Do you know how amazing you are? Like look what you're accomplishing. You're yeah. leading the way for a safe place for men to listen. Nobody really wants to talk about this shit, yeah? yeah. And you two have said, you know what? Let's, I mean, we'll just let's just talk about it. You can get Russell Peterson to show people that his heart breaks. He's the funniest guy on the planet, right? Looks like he's got his shit together and he says I don't It's my job as a psychologist. I got to tell you, that's why I love it, is I can sit all day long and get like, what? no, <laughs> and then what?
1: Yeah? Does it ever get tiring?
0: No. Well, that's a big lie, for sure. I think sometimes where um, it, it hits too close to home, then I think then it, it hurts my heart a little bit. But it is such a privilege. To hear other people's vulnerability, and if you can get there to the most sacred parts of themselves, it is it is soul filling, yeah. not soul sucking, yeah. right? You know, so it's that authenticity part I think that you know is so hard to get to in so many people for so many reasons. Um, but if you can get there, oh, it's, it's gold, you know.
1: <laughs> What's the feeling like when you work with a client and you see that journey, that progression?
0: You know it's interesting because it can happen in a minute, like it can happen in an instant. You mm-hmm. know this, yeah? yeah? You're out somewhere, you have a great conversation with somebody or you help somebody and you get that sort of connection of you, they feel seen because of a particular exchange or sometimes it takes years. And I love figuring out why that is because it's never anything. There, there's never anything wrong with somebody. It's always about what has happened to them. Mm. That defines the context and what they're, you know, the place that they're in, right? And so that, that story becomes everything.
1: It's, I think people often forget that sometimes life just happens. It's mm. not picking on you. Mm. But when it happens to you, it's how you deal with it as opposed to just saying, I'm screwed, I'm always screwed, I'm always going to be screwed.
0: I think that there's a couple of factors, though, that sort of allow you to to be more equipped or more able. Certainly, I mean, I, I often talk about I started on third base, right? White, straight, able-bodied, I came from money. And I think when you have much more um, – you have a history of trauma, you've experienced marginalization in any way, um, the The ability to just sort of push through things becomes much more difficult. And I don't think we respect that nearly enough. It doesn't mean it's undoable. It really is about the relationships you keep and the corrective experiences you have because no one experience defines anyone. I truly believe that because I think so much of the time, particularly in, in working with kids and trauma, I think a lot about like, oh my goodness, how did this guy who you know at five years old um, has experienced everything that you can ever imagine and he rises? You know, what happens to somebody who is born into a, a seemingly position of privilege and has everything and still suffers so significantly? What is the issue? And it's, again, always about the story, right? What were the corrective experiences? What happened along the way? What do we, what don't we know? is usually the the most interesting part
1: well on that note dr jody carrington <laughs> let's do it fellows <laughs> welcome to the Jen's talk podcast welcome welcome thank you mm. you flew in yesterday
0: you know what and do, you you've want been the, busy. do you want the truth we flew in a couple of days ago i was in kingston i was in london at the briar you guys are probably big curling fans yeah mm, that's I, what i thought I, I knew the
2: briar was on did you nice i didn't watch it i didn't know it was on because i have a buddy <laughs> who was i think he was at it Really? Yeah. Oh, my He was my like, gosh. he was down at 11.30, and he was, took his picture, and I'm like, my 2.30 shirt's going to be off. He's going to be <laughs> I heard curling is a good time.
0: Oh, listen, and it is, so I grew up in Alberta, small town Alberta, and so everything like curling and gravel pits and hockey are the only thing that matters to me, and so when we flew in to, I did a couple of different gigs in uh, around Toronto, and we were supposed to fly home for the weekend and parent, um, and it was like, oh, just Shoot. The Briar's in London. We're going to have to do the Briar, and then we'll just snuggle.
1: We're going to have to add a, a, a tour here. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was so good.
0: We did that on the weekends. Yes, yeah, so we've been here for
1: a couple of days. I love the city. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So you've been here often.
0: Yeah, more and more these days, i okay. got to say, right? Okay. Since the book came out, um, I've been speaking more and more, and uh, and I love it. But yeah, we, we spent a lot of time here.
1: Amazing. I want to jump right into it. Let's do it. Is there an amount of trauma that exists with a person that can't be resolved? No. So no matter what that trauma is, a person with the right amount of work can overcome that.
0: I think that the question in being able to define what that looks like is really critical because I think overcoming, we all just want to be happy. And I think happy is such bullshit because nobody's happy, right? Not one person right now in this moment is blissfully happy, happy all the time. And we put this really high standard on everybody of getting back or getting through it or getting around it. And did you do the work? Did she do the work? Have we done the work? What's interesting to me is that it becomes much more about slowing down and finding moments of joy than it does about being happy, right? And in the last two generations, we are constantly inundated by comparison, right? Mm -hmm. Our brains are not ready, nor will they be ever in our lifetime ready for the constant inundation of everybody else's life huh yeah. the the constant look at social media and what is he doing and what is she doing and like fuck I gotta drink more collagen and oh my god I should work out like what it oh uh, you know <laughs> and so like it's just this constant beration of like I am not there yet and so it becomes very difficult but everybody else seems to be right but nobody is, nobody is. everybody's a goddamn disaster and I think <laughs> the more we normalize that Right. It becomes in this place where you can drop your shoulders and recognize that it's the moments of joy. It's easier to shift into that place of gratitude when you can be like, I don't have to live up to this. I am this. I'm accomplishing this or I'm doing this or we're moving in this direction. It allows us to then be able to take in things a little bit more. I don't know. Slowly, I think, instead of just constantly wondering, are we enough?
1: How do you stop the comparative process, though? Because we all do it. Oh god. And it's it, it's, it's impossible, sometimes possible
2: it, especially with so, uh Instagram and yeah. TikTok and social media cuz you see everybody all the time.
1: Like I remember I, I would when when TikTok would, first became a thing for me, I immediately searched up, you know, how to become a, how to become better at getting myself organized and and you know, more accomplished and how to do tasks better. Like those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And now my entire TikTok account is full of what I call hustle porn. It's just mm. like, if you're not doing this, you're slacking. If mm. you're not making this, you're slacking. And now it's just reinforced this, like, I'm looking at all these people and comparing where I'm at today versus where they are.
0: Okay, do you all know the trick? Always. Okay. So let's start at the very basics, okay? So all of us have, we're neurobiologically wired for connection, okay? We will never automate relationships. And so technological advances are never the problem. It's how we use them that is the issue. And what we won't automate is relationship. And so if I take it back to sort of the most healthiest amongst us, the ability to name emotion, to identify what you feel, how you feel it, how you feel towards somebody else, how you don't feel towards somebody else is such a superpower. Guess who's better at that typically? Oh. Women. So here's the interesting thing, right? But I'll tell you why, right? Because historically, even just two generations ago, there's always been this sense that we need a brute force. Uh, The male or those who identify as a male is very much, this is your role. Be tough. Suck it up. Don't fucking cry. You understand me? Fix this. Organize this. Have this in a very clear, predictable way. Women, on the other hand, because of the need to create the infrastructure in society, was much more on the nurturing end of things. I mean, we're biologically wired to have the children, and so there was this nurturing um, component that was very much thrust into the role that was ours. Huh? And cu- with that comes lots of emotional language, right? The words to describe feelings, which becomes really important, huh? if you don't have that ability, right? Emotions get stuck. So let me give you an example. Okay, so we think we're getting better at this with boys or with men, but we're not. Okay. If you walk into Toys R Us today, there's a clear delineation. So I have two daughters, uh, sorry, I have two sons and a daughter. So this isn't this isn't necessarily about penises and vaginas. This is very much about what it means to be healthy in this world. Stop the comparison. Believe you're enough. Okay. Mm -hmm. The key is really in this place of emotional regulation, being able to name it to tame it. And when you have access to three emotions, happy, sad and pissed off, it becomes very difficult to be able to regulate emotion because somebody says to you, if we're dating, you say to me, I'm just I'm, I'm just pissed off. I don't know what the problem is here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you have the ability to say to me, look, I, I just feel like such a failure right now. I, you're doing all these great things. I don't know if I'm ever going to be good enough. Like, can we, can we talk about that? So the availability for us to be able to deepen our relationship is really prefaced on your ability to name the emotion. Got it? Okay. So when I do a better job of that with our daughters versus our sons, guess who ends up being much more dramatic in adolescence? The boy. No, the girl. Because she's got all the words and she's, oh, everything is a big deal. Boys -hmm. are easier to raise, you see, because they don't say nothing. We think it's easier. Guess what the highest rate of suicide is right now in this country? Amongst men. Middle-aged men.
1: Yeah.
0: If you don't have... Emotions will not kill you. Not talking about a mite. And when you are in that place... I mean, I was going to tell you this this story about um, uh, Toys R Us, okay, for example. So you walk in right now, today... Any store. there's a very clear delineation between the blue side and the pink side, okay? The penises and the vaginas. What's in the blue side? What are What are the opportunities? Oh,
1: like action figures. I oh, will
0: shoot sports you in a sports. Yeah, wrestle.
1: Like sports. Yes,
0: yeah. very tough. What's on What's on the vagina side?
2: You'll have like <laughs> dolls. Oh, <laughs> Fuzzy
0: and, toys. Yes, yeah. and nurturing, all those things. Huh? You can have a penchant, a desire to play with anything. This is not the issue. Huh? Gender in my mind is a spectrum. It doesn't matter where you choose to play with, but when you don't have the opportunities to put emotion, every single human being with a heartbeat is full of the same emotional awareness being. And if you have nowhere to put that, if you have no opportunities to sort of name that and identify that, it becomes really difficult then, the older we get to be able to say, I wish I was, am I good enough here? Like, is this okay? Are we, why is this guy, how come, right? And so I think part of the issue that has been exacerbated by a pandemic, right? Because the most dysregulated amongst us, the people who lose their mind the most, don't have access to emotional regulation to people who can walk them through the hard things. It reminds me of this this quote by a dead guy named Ram Das. It's my favorite line. I think I put it in Feeling scene. He said, "We are all just here walking each other home."
1: Hmm.
0: Not so. Yeah, We are all just here walking each other home. And when you recognize as a human being, as somebody with a heartbeat, that our job becomes doing that for each other in a time where we've never been this disconnected, oh, you're going to do well in this world. Because you understand your abilities to now to lean in and to be brave and look and to start to learn how to name what you're feeling. Be around people who are good at that. Follow people who are good at that. Right? How does that become... Much more acceptable in my world in your world, so that you're better better able to diff, you know give that away to to your prospective children, your nieces and nephews, the people who you interact with on the daily basis, right? Yeah. Because we're stepping into a mental health crisis like you've never seen. How so? So the three components of the most dysregulated amongst us, so I worked 10 years on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids, and I I was a civilian member of the RCMP for two years. I've spent a lot of time with people who've experienced significant degrees of trauma. And the three components that uh, are always necessary in the most dysregulated amongst us are uncertainty, fear, and no end in sight. Uncertainty. All that happened. Fear. Right, what are the three components of a global pandemic?
1: Being locked down, not knowing when it's gonna end.
0: Uncertainty, fear, no end in sight. Mm -hmm. So for three years as a globe, we've been in a state of heightened awareness, which means our shoulders are up, which means we're chippy, our bodies are not resting, as they did, even you know, prior to the pandemic, things were not going well anyway, and you lambaste a globe in this way, what happens is we see things like uh, divorce has increased by 33% since the beginning of the pandemic uh, across our country. Domestic violence and child maltreatment have never been this high. Despite the fact that we've never had this much access to resources and research and all of the mm-hmm. things, we're supposed to be better now. We're yeah. supposed to be healthy, huh? yeah? But we've never been this disconnected, this fearful of getting into long-term connected relationships because we're losing our skills to maintain the ability to stay connected when shit goes south. Because the greatest predictor of couples who make it and couples that don't isn't how much you fight or how much sex you have or how much money you have. It's your capacity to repair. And what happens if you don't have an emotional language? How do you repair? Sorry. Oh, fuck, that was bad. Sorry.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Or incapable huh? of communicating.
0: No, but no, you have the capacity. It's You can't give away something you've never received.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. so it's a matter of not knowing. Not, yeah. Simply not knowing.
0: We often talk about, the. for me, and I say this, this is so great to be able to say this on this podcast, the future's female. And I say that not because this is, again, anything about, I mean, I have two sons mm-hmm. that I know are going to change the world. But what becomes so critical now is not necessarily whether women have a seat at the table. It is the skill set that is now required like no other time to be able to invite you into conversation, to name it, to encourage you to be. Do you know how amazing you are? Like, look what you're accomplishing. You're yeah. leading the way for a safe place for men to listen. Nobody really wants to talk about this shit, yeah? yeah. And you two have said, you know what? Let's, I mean, we'll just let's just talk about it. You can get Russell Peterson to show people. That his heart breaks. He's the funniest guy on the planet, right? Looks like he's got his shit together. And he says, I don't, listen, I don't. Yeah. You can't tell anybody how to be great, you gotta show them. You can't tell anybody how to be anti racist, you gotta show them. You can't tell anybody that you wanna do better or be better, huh? You gotta show them. And when you don't have that capacity, it's very hard to give it away. And so often the call to women, now, in my mind, isn't about, you know, we just need a seat at the table. Still, women earn 78.8 cents on every dollar that a man in the same position earns in this moment. Mm-hmm. But it's about the skill set. It's about being able to say, tell me more. What does that feel like? Not what, I don't know. I don't want to know what you think about that. I want to know where, where you feel it. And when I work with police officers, it's my favorite thing, because yeah? nobody fucking feels anything in in this world of. Protect and serve. It's my favorite. Huh? <laughs> Some of the kindest humans I've ever met in my life serve this country, this city. But nobody has ever asked them, where you do doing? you feel it? Right? Why is that? How you doing? The culture perpetuates it. We're good. It's good. You're good? We're fine. We're good. It's just a job. What What was that like when you went to that MVA and there was six kids involved? It's good. Yeah. It's okay. Just do my job. I'm good. You're good. We're good. And so if I can say, right, this is very difficult to have a conversation in a group way ever. I mean, you guys know this, right? You cut them from the herd. You have a one-on-one conversation. People tend to be much more vulnerable, right? So this is what I love about therapy is it's this idea of saying, like, can, can you take me back to a time that you were a hero? Let's start there, right? What it, why are we lucky to have you? Do you know how hard it is to get most people to answer that question? if you run an organization or a team or if you guys want to do this ever with each other why why am I lucky to have you why of all the people I could choose to you know co-host a podcast with why why you right what why why is this good and it's so hard for people to be able to sink into that but what becomes really critical in that moment is when you can really start to do that particularly one-on-one right so if I think about doing therapy with somebody who has you know a massive trauma history and I say you know, let's talk about all the bad stuff is very hard tell me about the times that you know somebody was lucky you were there that's equally as difficult but if i can get them there it's so interesting you know well okay fine i'll tell you this one story where i think i write about this in the book too where it's like you know i fine there was this kid once a bunch of kids were like I don't know, doing drugs downtown and I came up in my police car and I saw them all, so I turned the lights on, I didn't want to get out of my car, you know, and everybody scattered except this one kid. So fuck, I got out of my car and I went to check on him and and he was non responsive. He said the second I look at this, you know, fourteen year old kid I knew he wasn't gonna be okay. He said, So against all protocol I picked him up and put him in the back of my PC and you know, you're not supposed to you're supposed to call the ambulance to do all those things and he said, I knew he didn't have fucking time. So I put him in the back. Lights and sirens to the hospital. I walk in with this fourteen year old big kid in my arms and you know the nurses are pissed off because I mean what what are you doing you don't this is not protocol they looked at him realized he doesn't have enough time they get him in there and and they take him away right and so this this police officer stands there okay so he you know goes home does his paperwork and said and he said this particular time he said I I I worried about this kid he said you know I didn't want to tell anybody that but the end of my shift I just stopped back you know just to see right if everything was okay and he said, I went in, and I could see mom and dad, or primary, you know, parents were there. I could see this kid still in the ER. I knew he'd made it. Uh, I'd said to the nurse, you know, are we doing okay? And, and she's like, he's going to make it. And he's like, okay, cool. You know, he said, I went home. I never thought about it. Till the next week, there was a call that came to the detachment that said, hey, you know, we understand that this particular officer's name was on this file. Um, is it possible to get connected to them? And so he said, fine they called and said listen we just want to say you saved our son would you come for dinner to our house Mm. and he said listen when he was telling me this story he said I've never told anybody this fucking story okay and I was like okay tell me more I said did you go and he said fuck yeah I did it was fine and I said no 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 tell me how did it feel he said it was he said, I never really said this out loud and he said, I don't know why the fuck I'm crying right now. But like I sat there, you know, I, I, I made sure I went in uniform and I had a my vest on and my fucking radio on just in case I needed to get out of there, you know? And I sat and this kid was so cool and and these parents were so amazing. They just kept saying it. I was like, Thank you. Right? Like our boy isn't bad. He just like it was a bad fucking choice that night. Like, thank you. And he's like, Man, this one went- You're welcome. You know? And it's like, I said, how come you never told anybody that? And he's like, well, I mean, it's the culture, right? People don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. It's our job. We just perpetuate that. Can you imagine if we talked about that more? Can you imagine Mm -hmm. if that was the thing? Like, yeah, I am, you know, I I did this the other night or I, I met this person. One of my favorite people on the planet is a guy named Jesse Thistle, if you ever want anybody on your podcast who will change your life. He's an indigenous guy who wrote From the Ashes, Canadian bestseller, national bestseller. And uh, he was in care um, in Saskatchewan, foster care most of his life, homeless in prison, Uh, is just finishing his Ph.D. at York University, married, beautiful, uh, beautiful baby. And um, in his book, it's so interesting because the question is how? right? How did you do this? And he said, it's the small moments of people who saw me. For example, he said, you know, uh," and I'm going to tell his story, not this is my understanding of his story, because I write about it too in my book, because he changed my life so significantly. He said, I'm I'm, I'm homeless. I'm sitting on the corner, Brampton, Ontario. I got a Tim Hortons cup, and I'm just hoping, right? I'm just hoping somebody's going to give me something. And this one guy came up to me and knelt down, looked at me in the eyes, and asked me my name. Nobody asked me my name in like six months. And I heard me say, it's Jesse. And he said, well, hey, I'm whatever it was. I'm Kevin. I just just wanted to know something about you. I, I, I hear I have five bucks. I hope you can get a coffee. And he said, just hearing my name, somebody wanting to know my name, made me believe that maybe there'd be something in there. And so the call to action is really like you don't have to be great. You don't have to be verbose. You don't have to go like, you know, dive into a dictionary and get really emotionally laden. You just have to be fucking nice. Huh?
1: it got to be human.
0: We've yeah. never been this disconnected. Do not underestimate your power today in this beautiful city to wave at somebody, to get eye contact with somebody, to give somebody a compliment, to text your partner right now, right, and say this. I'll give you the words. I don't know if I tell you this enough, but you matter to me. Send it. Huh? What happens is they're suspicious. Huh? <laughs> what
2: are you loaded? Been? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've been drinking. What's, what's, exactly. what's going on? What happened? Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're only nice to me when you're drunk. So the people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. Because we are just so inundated in this world by busyness and overwhelm and, uh, you know, comparison. Yeah. So we feel beat up. We feel like we don't matter. But my goodness if there's anything that comes out of this book for me it really is this place of like you know being able to remind people just how much we need them right now
1: and that's feeling seen yeah how long Uh, did it take you to put this together
0: mm, this is my third book so i wrote uh, a book called kids these days and it was for parents and teachers, and uh, it became a. And we self published it. It became a national bestseller. And uh, listen, but if you watch me with a, my own personal children, you wouldn't buy the book, because <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that when I was regulated. But uh, I spent a lot of time with teachers and police officers, and you know, just really sort of saying, I, I've assessed and treated over a thousand kids in this country, and I've never not one time met a bad kid, not one time. I met a lot of emotionally dysregulated people mm. who've never been seen. And so those two books were, the first two were just really reminders to the people doing, you know, spending the most amount of time with kids that, hey, 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 this is, this is holy work. And this book, uh, Harper uh, came to me and, you know, said, we we love the first two. Would you write a book for us? And I it was during The Pandy. So I was like, yes. <laughs> I've never, um, heard, never of heard of it. Of it called yeah. the, the Pandy. pandy. The you Pandy. Know, you know?
1: <laughs> Never? Never no. oh. yeah. I think that's a, that's definitely a first for me yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> I like that i'm gonna'm I'm gonna use you that. it's all, yours. It's all <laughs> yours uh
0: so yeah so that that probably took me about a year and um lots of stories in there about you know as um as a psychologist but also just being a mom and a wife and you know what it's like to sort of navigate a a world where there's no script for for powerful women who can also be good moms Hmm. and uh, you know marry people who uh, get in a place to sort of become biggest fans and maybe not the primary breadwinner like all of that stuff is so fun to try to figure out Mm -hmm. and you know we were just talking about this because yesterday I don't know when this is going to air but yesterday was International Women's Day and um just really talking about the fact that there's no script for this, right? None of us really know how to navigate just two generations out of a very traditional way of operating for so many people that still exists globally in so many ways, right?
1: Even for, for men, I think, they're like still trying to figure out. Like, There's a lot of men out there that are still of the mind that unless you're the primary breadwinner, unless you're making six figures, and you give your partner the ability to stay at home if they wanted to, unless you could do it and accomplish all these things, you are not a provider. Oh, and that's such a pressure point for yeah, so many it's men. Heavy, it's heavy. heavy. Hold,
2: Isn't it? To be told to have to have that standard is...
1: And you're not, and you're yeah. competing now in a society where inflation is rampant. You can't afford to live in, in major cities anymore. And you can't afford to buy houses and... It's like, how are you keeping up with the guys who either woke up with money in their pockets or, you know, are good faking kudos it. to them are faking yeah. <laughs> it. And, and you're seeing that on social media. Especially on social
2: media, a lot of faking right. it. Right. And then oh. it's just
1: like, and you that's where you it's go that back to comparison. comparison. Absolutely. like, how do I compare it? How can I even provide, how can I take my girlfriend out to a fancy dinner when I know it's going to cost me $300 in Toronto? Mm-hmm. And then turn around and be like yeah let's do this every week
0: oh yeah we got it yeah. and here's a little something i picked up for yeah. You.
1: yeah i'll know what, yeah
0: <laughs> you know i think that first of all you can't address what you don't acknowledge and i love that you say that i mean i think the bias is still really deep right how can you you need to be chivalrous and i mean my husband and i talk about this all the time like i have a, a massive expectation he's like i don't want to be the fucking guy that's just taking kids to hockey practice all the time like what what are you you know? He's like, My he grew up on a farm. I mean, he's got a PhD in how to feed cows. Like this is how right off the farm we are. Okay. <laughs> like his mom baked all the pies. My mom, you know, had a cute little job at the bank. Right. And so it's very interesting to be able to sort of even go home to our parents. And, you know, I'm on a seventeen day tour of the book and people are like, Oh, what about your kids? How's your husband? making out i don't know he's fucking parenting you know what i mean (laughs) but i mean it i can't like there's so much acknowledgement in this because this is hard for him Mm. this is brutal for me when we sort of look at the company's finances and i'm like no i fucking made that this is my company not yours and he's like okay okay Okay, so when the roles were reversed, right, in the beginning, right, he worked full time and I worked at the hospital and, you know, he was doing exceptionally well, set us up in this position. And that really was the place that we talk about all the time, I'm like, if it wasn't for you, I came into this relationship with so much debt and I, I mean, he's got a spreadsheet for fucking everything, I don't even know, (laughs) right? I just like to spend money, yeah? And so we make this beautiful team because he's really like, listen, this is, I've got this all thought out. And I think that's really helped us make that transition from like, okay, I'll take it from here, right? But we constantly have to have conversations around like how does – what does this feel like, right? Mm-hmm. We walk into a room and it's, it's a much different reception, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, you know? And so it's interesting about um, – I think f- historically women have really just been relegated to that role. Oh, she's so cute. Oh, my God, what do you – what does your partner do? What does your husband do, right? And so it's a switching of that. We all started in exactly the same place, right? We we all started with listening to the heartbeats of our mom, bum, 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 that emotional regulation piece, which is what we all need in times of distress. We just need to walk each other home right and it often happens without words it's often in this place of if you find somebody who you can have those conversations about an emotional language really helps but when you can start to sort of talk about okay how can we do this together can you imagine well honoring the fact that we're all one generation out from very traditional roles in the way that we think about things and so it's gonna push you around right it pushes us around all the time. I feel guilty like you don't even know missing the hockey games. Um, you know, I, well, the kids were in their lacrosse. They started lacrosse for the first time yesterday, right? And I just get the pictures. I'm not there. Brutal. Everybody else's mom is like there with the face paint. I Listen, and here's the issue. I love my children more than anything, but I fucking hate parenting. Like I, I love... <laughs> I've always wanted to be a mom, but like I'm not a super big fan. I'm I'm much. I love to work. I love to do this. I love yeah. to be on the road. I love to write, right? And it's just really like it's okay if being a dad isn't the best thing that ever happened to you, or if you know your kids suck the ever loving Jesus soul from you. <laughs> you know, we can talk about that and still be. You can still be I'm still a phenomenal right. mom. I think.
1: Well, is that a, a comparative to when people say they're unhappy with certain things or they complain about something, but that doesn't mean that they're not invested in it? Oh, yeah. But I, I'm thinking particularly I from the lens that. of of jobs. Yeah. Okay. I find a lot of people will complain about elements of their job. And mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that they're dispassionate or are not competent or won't put in the effort and the time. But I find that sometimes there's a disconnect in... Creates an inability to share that with your boss, your employer, because of fear of reprimand. Yeah, and I feel like employees a lot of these day, a lot of them these days, just don't feel seen.
0: Oh my goodness! It, so the thing that people want me to talk about the most is burnout. So yes, please. It is. Um, it's a construct that. This guy named Herbert Freudenberger came up with in 1974. So it's old, it has nothing to do with pandy. And he was basically so he was studying a drug-addicted population at the time. And you understand the colloquial term for burnout is somebody who sort of uses excessively to the point of sort of snuffing out their their light. Okay? Mm. He's a burnout, she's a burnout. And he started to notice that in certain organizations that was also happening to their people, there was once a light, a passion, a desire to sort of prove yourself or do great or make a difference in the world that just seemed to burn out. And the definition he gave was it seems like when the resources outside of a job that are intended to fill your soul don't exceed what gets sucked from your soul in your job, you burn out, right? Shocking, right? You don't put gas in a car. It stops going. You, mm-hmm. You're an entrepreneur, right? Your expenses continually exceed your income. You're going to fail. Same, same. But organizations really struggle to understand the the basic premise of this. If you don't look after your people, they will not continue to serve. Full stop. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite coaches, hockey coaches, Daryl Sutter, he said this. You should see how fast I can get a kid to skate when I know the name of his dog.
1: Mm-hmm. I saw that quote. Isn't that something? Yeah, I, I
0: love. But you think about if you want to build a company, right? You know something about your people. You acknowledge them, right? If you feel like somebody really is like super impressed with your work, and they're like, "This is, this is amazing. What can I do to help?" You know, or like, "This is the best thing I've ever seen you do." Can can we do more of that? Mm-hmm. Like this piece that you wrote, man. How did you get there? Right? You're just like. <laughs> I, I got it. I got more. I got more. Yeah. And and how we do it. I mean, that's, it's free. Mm. When you genuinely, but here's the interesting thing about an acknowledgement, right? It must be genuine. Yes. Because.
1: You can spot a fake one. Oh, God. So Those are the worst. Yeah.
0: The salesy, I'd rather you just not say anything. Bullshit. I know. And so when it's a disingenuine acknowledgement, it can actually be more hurtful than doing nothing at all. So we often check boxes. Yeah. Mm. We're supposed to. Give our employees the water bottle. Thank you for your fucking service. You know what? Beat it if you don't. which is very different than coming to your desk and being like, I talk to you. That piece that you just did for me today is phenomenal. and I just wanted you to know. I, I don't know what you're doing, but please do more of that. Okay. You know, it motivates. It, you. I don't need a water bottle. Yeah. I'm right. Not. And so it's the genuine the, the genuineness that becomes so critically important. The prerequisite for a good acknowledgement is emotional le- regulation, because if I don't feel seen as a leader, if I don't feel seen as somebody sort of heading up any project, I'm going to have a very difficult time giving it away. And again, you know, I get back to this piece of like, who do you want in the helm of most leadership and successful companies these days is people who are very emotionally regulated. Yeah. People who understand that you can stay calm in times of distress. I got it. Okay, let's figure this out. Come on.
1: And it's not usually the top performer, the top Mm-mm. salesperson. Mm-mm. Because oftentimes I think we mistakenly or companies will mistakenly promote the person with the best performance or the best sales record into a position of where they are responsible for other people and they're not, they're not capable. Two
0: very different skill sets. Yeah. Mm. So if you think about any hierarchical organization, right, uh, police, fire, EMS, teaching, government position, most places in corporate America, you do good, I reward you. You do good, I reward you. You get more rank, I reward you. Has nothing, just because you're good with the little people or the bad guys doesn't mean you're gonna be able to lead Other a people. healthy
1: team. Yeah
0: very different skill set, right? And so what's often interesting to me is, right, leaders who understand the importance of emotional regulation and really truly seeing their people. Remarkably, particularly in this season of such disconnect, right? If you have any, you know, business leaders listening, what is so critically important is one thing I would argue these days is getting your people back in the office.
1: Into the office. Oh, yes. All the, the time again or yeah. hybrid?
0: Oh, well, I mean – Whatever works best for your company. But I would say the more you can have people in the same physical space, the way better because you can't automate relationship. And not just mandate you back to the office, but really think about creating. Here's the the most vulnerable emotion on the planet. Think about what that is. What do you think you're feeling when you're at your most vulnerable?
1: Alone? Fear?
0: No. So neither of those. Uh, The most vulnerable emotion on the planet is joy.
1: The most vulnerable, okay.
0: When you're belly laughing in your kitchen, when you're dancing in in the back 40, you know, that is the most vulnerable. You're open to anything. Yeah,
1: It's like when you're in a relationship.
0: Yeah. You're vulnerable. I mean, think about the second date. Mm-hmm. If you are, you actually don't go on a third date if you're an asshole and you're checking your phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> but when you're open, you're like, oh, my God. You feed, you do construction? How do how do you do construction? I'm so interested, huh? Mm-hmm. And then we're date, you know, we're married for 15 years. and I'm like, get your fucking <laughs> screwdriver out of here. I don't know. But it's that issue, right? Of like the light up, the interest, that place of you know being vulnerable. And when there's joy present, and so one of the things that I like to do, I just I had 300 HR professionals that we spoke to yesterday, and I said to them, what I really want you to listen for is laughter, because that is really the predictor of people's access to things like innovation and creativity and motivation. And so. When people are burnt out as an organization, what happens is futility tends to set in. So Freudenberger said there's actually three things: emotional exhaustion, a lack of compassion, and an experience of futility that sets into the most, you know, burnt out amongst us. And futility is defined as the thing. It's it's the thing that scares me the most. It it means your give a shit is broken. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're like, what's the point?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The reason, like. Nobody's showing up. There's not enough resources. Everybody's assholery ish. You know what? I'm out. You're leaving at three. Fuck it. Me too. Right. And futility also kills innovation or optimism. OK, because misery doesn't love company. Misery loves miserable company. Right. So if you co- you know, the new guy starts. Yeah. Or the, the Mary Poppins in the fucking staff room comes in and is like, OK, you know what, guys, I'm thinking we should just do. A, do you guys want to do a potluck on Friday? And people are like, fuck off, Leslie. <laughs> do you know? Yeah, yeah. It becomes very difficult to infuse joy in a very burnt out culture.
1: How you, can you fix that? Mm hmm. How?
0: So if you want to. So this this typically isn't a senior leadership uh, positions um, job per se. It's about if you actually want to get more out of the workplace, it's up to you and me to do the next best right kind of thing. Because really when I think about this world as a whole, it's not going to be a premier or prime minister or a CEO or a superintendent. It's going to be like, okay, this is it. We got it. Right. Because there's no program or funding opportunity that's really going to get us all back like in the game. It's actually building a movement. Surrounding yourself with people who believe that one sweet step at a time, we can create this a, a place that we want to be. So, if you're the guy, you know, rolling your eyes at the meeting or being a dick in the back, get out. What the mm. fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Mostly because you don't deserve to be in that room. You don't deserve for the life to get sucked from you all day. Because then you come home to the people that really matter to you, right? And, and you you're have nothing in a shitty
1: left. Mood, yeah. Yeah. Right. Nothing left. What's the, the point? Yeah.
0: And so if I'm – can you imagine if you're in a workplace where you're valued or you value each other, right? Little things like you leave here today and on the – in your car, let's say, for example, there's a note tucked under your windshield wiper when you get in. And it's addressed specifically to you. And it says, I just want you to know you're a huge inspiration to me. Don't stop doing this work. I listen to every episode. And you're not only changing my life, you're saving it.
1: She gave me goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean?
0: What did that cost?
1: Nothing. Right.
0: And, And you need it, right? And then you go home to your people because you feel like you matter, right? Your shoulders are back. Your cortisol is down. Your oxytocin and your dopamine are present. And you can step in to your day versus I didn't talk to anybody today, I got three complaint emails, I misunderstood the context of a text that somebody sent me because nobody fucking calls anymore. Like, any time you can have face-to-face interactions with the people you love or you lead, mm, take it, take it.
1: I think remote work has allowed people to hide more. Even on video calls, people don't turn on their cameras. You have to. And when you tell them to, or I'll say, so when I get on a video call, my camera's always on beautiful and then there's an initial hesitation there's some fumbling of some words and like oh okay yeah let me just turn on my camera and you can hear bustling in the back they get get their shirt on yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and then they turn it on and i had one guy tell me recently he's like i don't i don't get the idea behind why people turn their cameras on he's like i don't get it and i i don't know why you wouldn't understand how actually seeing a person's face when they say something being able to, to gauge whether they're being sarcastic or making a joke or trying to, to play at something as opposed to taking it the wrong way.
0: So much of communication, and I'm, I'm gonna forget the number right now, but it's like astronomical, is, is built in the subtleties, the nonverbals of communication. So you can imagine when we take that away, and and as a pandemic, we also covered half of our faces for three years, right, for the yeah. physical safety of our communities, okay? But you think about the ramifications of that for adolescents for people not being able to just sort of notice. It takes practice to engage with somebody and understand what it means when you're sad because it it looks very different on your face than it does on your face. And the less time we spend together, the less time we sort of slow down long enough. And listen, the hardest thing you will ever do is look into the eyes of the people you love. Despite the fact that we are neurobiologically wired for connection, the hardest thing you will do is ever look into the eyes of the people you love. And we've never had this many exit ramps. Think about the square footage of the house that your grandfather was raised in.
1: Much bigger than what we're living in Toronto.
0: In in Toronto, for sure. But think about now, the square footage of the house, like, that how much time we spend looking at each other. Like, retrospective data would suggest that our great-grandparents looked at their children 72% more of the time than we look at our babies
2: or it's like in different rooms cuz we're looking at our phones and not really spending as much time together. Yes. Okay.
0: Or you think about the parallel activities that you do in the evening. I mean, my grandparents will play three games of crib every night. It's a card game, yeah. And when you play cards with somebody you love, what happens?
1: You got to play, you got to play. Right, you got to you, you gotta fucking see fight. Them yeah, cuz they're <laughs> cheating sons of bitches. So you're like watching, huh?
0: Mm-hmm. But now we come home at the end of the day. I mean, my personal husband and I've been married for 15 years. And he's a remarkable human being. But I, the last thing I fucking want to do at the end of the day after I've coached hockey and made lunches and tried to keep my company together and wrote the next book and single-handedly changed the mental health of children in central Alberta, the last thing I want to do is look at him. You know? You know what I think I've earned the right to do is learn how to launder money in the Ozarks. That's what I think. I'm Fantastic show. But, isn't it? Yeah. I know. I love it. But, you know, so so again, we think we're doing okay. So we get into our king-size bed, Right. He's on one end. I'm on the other. We might hold hands if we're lucky. He's into breaking bad. I mean, I mean, we've procreated. We got the children. No big deal. High five. You're good. I'm good. It's fine. And we want to sink into somebody else's shit show. And we've never had so much opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. And when it's so hard to have a conversation with people we love, because then we're going to have to talk about how did you feel about that? And did somebody pay the credit card bill? And like, what are we doing? Are we going to, well, everybody else has got family pictures. You just don't want to. Oh, fuck, I'm exhausted. And I am because I've had so much inundation of data. I'm on Twitter. I'm checking the news. What the fuck's happening in the Ukraine? What's going on here? What is the? You know, I want to stay up on things because I want to serve my people well on the platform or the company that I'm creating. That sucks your soul. So who do I have? I mean, what do I have left for the people that really matter? Not a lot. My three kids, I mean, I have 10 year old twins and a 13 year old, they're on their devices. good. You're good, we're good. Do you guys want to watch a movie? You know, and again, very parallel activity where we're not learning about each other, right? And you know, it, it really on purpose, I have to say to them, look at, you know, what happened today? Who did you talk to today? What was the hardest part? Some of the best conversations you will ever have with your kids is in the car. Because it's the only place that affords physical proximity that's socially acceptable right now. And they're locked in typically, which is helpful. Um, so you then can, you know, I often say if you have an opportunity to, you know, coach a sports team on your with your kid or be the driver that takes kids, like, take it. Mm. Because some of the best conversations you get, yeah, is like a bunch mm. of 15-year-olds in the backseat of a car. So fucking great, right? <laughs> oh no, guys. Look, listen. I swear to God, the fallopian tubes are in her neck. <laughs> you,
1: <know>? <laughs> <laughs> you don't
0: know. You need to know these things about the children. You got to pull over and be like, all right, fellas, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. Do <laughs> you see how important it is to spend proximity?
1: So, in a relationship, because you said something interesting that you said was divorce rates were up. Mm hmm. And I'm not an expert, but I can assume that much of that may have had to do with people all of a sudden having to be in front of each other for so long Mm. and really understanding who the person they're married to is, or not even just marriages, just regular relationships. Relationships, yeah. What techniques or approaches can you recommend for people who have now spent the last two, three years isolated with each other? have started to fight with each other, not because they don't love each other or care for each other, but now they've just started to butt heads and mm-hmm. they're trying to come out the other side of it. Mm. Because I've spoken to a lot of friends of mine.
0: I was going to say, I think he's asking
1: for a friend. <laughs> 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 it, it is. <laughs> but there's, like, so I'm on the opposite side of that spectrum. I'm fortunate enough that my girlfriend and I met during the pandemic. Mm, and cool. we actually used that time to really get to know each other. Yeah. And it worked out so well. Nice but I've encountered a lot of people who are not so fortunate in that capacity and I think it's a shame because they care about each other genuinely but they're still struggling because mm. it's like everyone's demons just came running out when the pandemic happened. Yeah.
0: I think what's really critical, you know, is that no one person can fulfill everything you need. And You know, when we went from being very social beings um, to, you know, one weekend in March, having that change significantly, it became very difficult for us to sort of serve that role for everybody, right? Or for one person. eh? And when I'm overwhelmed and chippy and I'm trying to teach from home and work from home and get out of my space and, oh, my, you know, there was very little opportunity to get your soul filled up in other ways. And so then we start to turn on each other. Right. And we start to assume, like, obviously you are the problem
2: Mm.
0: or obviously this isn't a good fit anymore or something is happening here. Right. When oftentimes I think what's really critical, there's two things that I think, you know, oftentimes in this space, what becomes really interesting to think about is that, you know, again, we when we have the capacity to understand somebody else before getting our point across, it is like, man, it's like. It's, a, it's the biggest superpower. So Stephen Covey talks about this. he borrowed this from the Bible he said seek first to understand before being understood. And it is probably one of the most underutilized skill in, in relationship. okay You come through the door and your expectation is that you, you fall in love with somebody because they have the ability to regulate your emotion right? They want to see you that second date. yeah, you're oh my gosh, we are interested in that huh You end up doing that for them too. I mean, that's why they fall in love. So at, at the end of the day, when I'm exhausted, I hope when I get home, you're filled up so that you can do that for me. What happens if you're empty too? And I'm going to come into you and to seek you to be like my person. And you're going to be like, no, 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 fuck off. I, you, you need to be my person. Uh, You're done. You're done. Fuck. What is wrong? So I get through the door and Aaron says to me, I'm so, my husband, I'm so exhausted. I was like, what do you mean you're fucking exhausted? You're feeding cows all day. You're driving around in your truck looking to see if heifers are hungry. Do you want to know? I got puke in my bra. I don't know where the twins are. Do you want? Right? We're in this competition for resources. Okay? And so what becomes really interesting is if we can take the onus to the best of our capacity. If you're the one listening to this today, this is up to you. To be able to step in first, seek first to understand. One of the three, I think the phrase that allows me to do this the most, on even my most difficult days, is when somebody says to me, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know if I can do this. Tell me more. And this is really difficult for men, or those who identify as men, historically, because we wanna fix it, right? If I say to you, I'm so tired, and you're gonna say, oh, um, okay, did you go you for a run water? today? What do you, like, yeah, did you, help. hey, fix this maybe operation. you should journal, okay? Did you, what, what do you mean? You, uh, I I don't want that from you, actually. I want you to seek first to understand, like, what the fuck's going on with me. And oftentimes it's like, uh, uh, use this phrase. Tell me more. And oftentimes when you say tell me more to even, you know, an employee, a colleague, you don't necessarily want to know more. (laughs) What you're doing is you're giving your partner, your colleague, uh, the person who's, you know, filing the complaint against you, the ability to get emotionally regulated. Yeah. to fill back up, to be seen, yeah? And if I say to Aaron something I'm like, tell me more, what happened today? <sighs> if you can hear that, you, hear, you mm-hmm. hear the sigh, yeah? You cannot take a deep breath and be emotionally, dis- you know, dysregulated. This is so critically important to watch people's body language. You see when the camera's on, I can know that more. Huh? <laughs> <sighs> I don't know, Jode. I just, like, there was a couple of guys that this this happened today, this happened in this yard, and I just feel like sometimes, God, is it all worth it? I'm like, I'm glad you're here. Let's figure this out. Let's make supper and we can talk about it. Oh, okay. Okay. How was your day? Oh, it was really shitty. Thanks for that. <laughs> but, you know, like it doesn't take too much to get us back in, but we're just so desperate for those resources, particularly when somebody was our person. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, when you know, when you then introduce kids into a relationship, oftentimes mom um, takes the primary role or those who identify as, you know, the, the female component of the relationship takes that role of the babies. huh? That is fucking scary because you are my person and now you're their person who's got me. And so then often, you know, we throw ourselves into work. Where Where do you feel more competent? Yeah. Right. And even, you know, I think about this with my husband all the time. You know, when he would leave for feed yards at four o'clock in the morning when I knew he didn't have to be there until six when we would, you know, we had three kids under three at one point. And um I just always reflect on this now, like he felt much more competent outside of those babies because he didn't have the skill set and I didn't help that. Like I was always like, what the fuck, this diaper's on backwards, like what is wrong with you, mm. right? Instead of like, I'm just so glad you're here, right? So this partnership piece of constantly trying to understand that when they stop being able to fill you up, um, we get into this standoff that often can be the demise of a relationship. Instead of understanding that we can come back to the table and say, what am I missing? Tell me more. What am I missing? What's the hardest part? Really interesting questions to sort of engage. It
1: reminds in. me of, of a saying someone told me where it's always it's not you versus your partner. It's you and your partner versus the problem.
0: Oh, yeah, that's super good. Externalizing it. Yeah, right. It's it like
1: allows you to just extract it and put it somewhere there and be like, all right. Huddle up. How are we going to fix this? <laughs> totally. That's
0: excellent. I love that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that's amazing.
2: I was wondering, so if you're going to the, you're talking about the table. So if you feel, how do you get to, let's say I'm in a relationship and I feel like, okay, like we need to get to this table and talk about it. But how do, how does one initiate that, I guess, that conversation?
0: Such a good question. So timing is important. And oftentimes when we feel like there is a disconnect in a relationship, we choose the shittiest times.
2: We yeah. but is there ever, like, how do you, I feel like there's also no good time. Oh. For some, like, I guess maybe, you feel but that personal. No, There
0: is for sure bad times. Okay. For sure. So if we're in the middle of a knockdown shoot-em-out, right? If we're, one of us is loaded, if, you know, all of those things, if there's people around, you know, we tend to sort of try to demonstrate in front of our friends or our people, mm-hmm. like when our partners are assholery-ish, right? We're like, mm, mm-hmm. See, I told you, you talk to me like this all the time. Did you see that? Yeah, Just talking yeah. to me like this. Nope. Bop, 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 bop. So timing oftentimes becomes really critical in that way. So, you know, you're right. It, it, you, you, we also don't want to rock the boat when things are like kind of good. But I'll tell you, oftentimes um, you can't be emotionally dysregulated and chew and swallow. So often over a cup of coffee is a good plan. When you have the ability to see each other face to face, not over text or email. Being able to connect before you direct becomes really critical. Here's the things that I love about you. Here's the things that I miss about you. Here's the things that I feel we're missing the mark on. What do you think? Right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, what we do is we come straight at the hip, like, what the fuck? Okay, this is fucking brutal. Right? Do you want to be here? You obviously don't because you're saying that you show up late every time you don't even care if we want to truly have a good conversation about it right how do we do our very best to collect in that way how do we try to set it up to the best that we can and oftentimes it's not a one-shot deal you got to come back to the table again and again and again and if we do it in the same way it's like we've already tried this and i i'm i'm such a big proponent of therapy Because oftentimes we don't have the skill set, especially if we've been, you know, in the same dance with our partner for a long time. One of my favorite psychologists, Harriet Lerner, wrote a book called The Dance of Intimacy. Because it's very difficult to get on the synchronous page with somebody when it's, you know, you feel ready to jump into emotion. They might not be. Mm -hmm. And then they come in and they're ready to have the – and you're like, oh, not Mm – you know? So then – if I say to you, listen, now's not the time. You're like, okay, fine, fuck it. Then we're not doing it, okay? Because you just took a big risk in being vulnerable to try to open that conversation with me. Mm. And I shut it down. And that's that's hard on your soul. So you're like, never again. And so you see the standoff yeah, that we're, happens. We're never going to talk
2: about anything ever again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's it. that's all I, fine. I, I think that makes
1: it harder for men, though, because they're already starting from a position of, Like, I'm not even sure I want to do this and I'm not accustomed to having these kinds of conversations. So I'm going to take a big risk here and try to say that I'm feeling vulnerable and this is why I'm feeling hurt. And if that gets shut down, then it just reinforces everything we've been taught about this is why men don't say anything. Yeah.
0: Don't be so weak. Yeah. 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 You
1: just put yourself out there and you just got hurt. Should have known better, dumbass.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it is. I mean, this is why relationships are the hardest thing on the planet. If it's easy, you're not doing it right.
1: Hmm.
0: You haven't got there yet, right? Because when people say this to me, we never fight, scares the shit out of me. Because you need to develop that dynamic. You're not going to agree and get along with everything, right? Because resentment will step in, even if you're like, oh, yeah, no, no. Of course. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." That only lasts for so long. You need to figure out the dance. And again, when it becomes that place of we, it's us against the world. It's us against trying to navigate, you know, the the numbers, which is most people don't figure this out. I think we can do this. It's not going to be easy, but let's figure this out. How do we do this, right? How do I read about it? How do I surround myself with people who are good at this? You know, when we sort of – one of the most contagious things on the planet is divorce. Hmm. When somebody gets divorced or somebody starts breaking up in your circle, fucking watch it because other people are like, hmm that looks like a viable opportunity
1: <laughs> it also makes a lot of people look closer
0: yes the and they get out of all of the you know the bullshit of relationships and oh they look so much happier now look at their mm. you know having sex every two yeah. seconds oh they're yeah. so lucky no, fuck off listen the interesting thing is when you actually get into a relationship where somebody has seen your soul I often ask this question in therapy right who has seen behind the wall right who has who knows you and when you can sort of get in a sacred place like that with somebody um, and they do that for you, you do that for them, it's it's pretty holy. And being able to get somebody back there, that's part of one of my favorite places in couples work, right, is I can't tell you how hard it is to get two people who've been together for, for many, many years, right, to look at each other. So I, I love this because, you know, one will usually drag one into therapy, right, and so the arms are crossed and, you know, it'll be like, okay, you know, why are you here? And this guy's like, ah, oh, fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> and the other one's like uh, we just really need to work on our communication and i'll say okay cool um like can we can you tell me a little bit about her like why did you guys get together and it usually starts with like i don't know if i got pregnant at a bush party i had to marry her you know like i'm like okay time out start again you know where did you meet what was it about her that was the thing for you and it's so interesting if i can watch that soften and like uh it was at St. Patrick's party, do you remember? And, like, you know, Ann and Jamie were there, and, you know, we. she was just so funny. And we, and we talked, like, n- nobody would talk to me like she did. We, we would talk for hours, you know? We, we had the phone, and we'd be, like, I don't know. And I would say, D- have you ever told her that? Have you, have you ever just told her that, that, you know, that's why? Oh, yeah, fuck, yeah, I told her all the time. And she's over here always going, like, mm-mm. Mm, mm. <laughs> so I'll say can you do me a favor can you just look at her right now and just tell her what you just told me and usually they say T- tell her what well just that you know mm. nobody would ever get into a conversation with you like you two used to right can you tell her that right now and it's so hard because they'll say to me can, can I just tell you <laughs> mm. no fucker we're not married okay <sighs> so look eh? and so the awkwardness to turn to look and to be like you were probably one of the only people that I've ever been able to, like, sink into a three-hour conversation with. You you listen to me like nobody else ever has, and I miss that. He'll turn back to me, and I'll say, what was that like for you? And he'll say, That's fine. I turn to her, and I'll say, what was that like for you? Oh, my God, it was amazing! And in my head, I'm like, holy fuck, I just told him what to say to you, right? But there's so much unwritten between us in relationships that I will have nothing i will know nothing about right when i look at my husband i remember what he looked like on our wedding day i remember he was the guy that laid on the floor of the foothills hospital and the NICU when our baby boy was in there for four days right wouldn't leave me nobody knows that except the two of us mm. and when we slow down long enough and actually you know physically look at each other. There's this beautiful research by Anon. He's a, a researcher out of Singapore. It's called the Four Minutes of Connection. Huh? And the only premise of this research is I want you to sit down tonight and look at somebody you love for four minutes and watch what happens. Yeah. And I didn't I was like, Pff, how hard can this be? I mean, Aaron and I've been married for 15 years. we got six degrees between us. Like, obviously he's going to want to look at me. I mean, look at me. And so we went home that night and I said to him, hey, babe, I was just reading this research. Like, can you just sit And, like, let's look at each other for, like, four minutes. And you know what he said to me? Why? (laughs) I I was like, what do you mean, why? Like, I'm your bride. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, for the full four minutes? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, I'm going to just get out a timer. Because, remember, he has a spreadsheet for everything. And I was like, holy fuck. So he starts it. And we look at each other. And then he calls a timeout. He, he calls a timeout. He said to me, what am I Clarify looking for? Clarify the rules. <laughs> I, exactly. What am I looking for specifically? He said, did you get a new shirt? Did you get a haircut? And I was like, he just tried, look at me. That's it's a trick. <laughs> it's a
1: yeah, what did I forget?
0: It's remarkable. And this research has been replicated across the globe. And the same sort of sequence of events tends to happen if you can actually make the four minutes. In the first 30 seconds, even if you've been married to somebody or you love each other, like it's your sibling or you do this with a parent, the first 30 seconds is so incredible comfortable. it's like uh you're sticking out your tongue you're like oh my god if you can sink in to you make it to the one minute mark you start to see things that you haven't seen for a while right you're kind of like well and you don't want to say these things out loud generally like holy fuck you're old okay like, you don't want to you know but if you can make it to the four minute mark or even the three and a half minute mark what starts to happen uh, is you start to get emotional because there's so much unwritten between the people that matter the most to you that we sometimes we stop seeing when we stop looking we start seeing and when we start looking we start seeing and and that's really the whole premise of feeling seen
1: wow yeah that's incredible we just connected for an hour and four minutes <laughs> nice job I stared at you for an hour and four minutes <laughs> you did i loved it um jody thank you so thank much thank you this was incredible this is oh. already my favorite episode. No way. Way.
0: <laughs> download, 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 <laughs> share.
1: So where can they get your book?
0: Anywhere. Um yeah, Amazon or any independent bookstore, chapters going to go. Off Amazing. And where
1: have. can they find you online?
0: Uh com. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for me. I hope me. you come by Toronto again cuz we'd love to have you again. I would love Appreciate to be back. Thank, Thank you for what you're great.
0: doing. This is this is incredible work. Keep it up.
1: Thanks. We're trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Pancho.